and I think we're live now. Hey, Sonia. Um, I, I guess I should introduce this in some way. I'm Eigenrobot, as far as any of you know, and I'm talking with Sonia Mann, um, who, gosh, how, how would you like to introduce yourself? I suppose I should introduce you, but I don't I, know that I want to take that agency. <laughs> I'm a cartoon rabbit trying to figure out why humans do all the weird things they do. Um, it's very puzzling. Uh, I'm still working on it. Um, I, I guess I'm like a writer kind of, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have like a good one liner to describe what I do. I guess indie publishing is usually what I say. Um, so right now I'm occupied with making fancy pamphlets, uh, which is a, you know, it's a proud American tradition pamphleteering. So yeah. Um, and they are they are incredibly fancy. I, I subscribe and I I would go so far as to say they're the fanciest SAS things that have been sent to me via the USPS. <laughs> so I, uh, you, you know, it's funny. Your subscription setup is that you were subscribed to my Substack, which was like completely dormant for at least a year, like a long time. You were, had a, like a $5 subscription to that. Um, while the, like nothing was happening with it. <laughs> and then I yeah, sure. canceled you. Um, but that uh, you sort of wow, like, accidentally canceled. Just, yeah. Uh, well, I just put you on the list for the zines. Cause I was like, you know, he <laughs> subscribed to me for absolutely no reason for quite a while. So I'm going to count that as being your <laughs> subscription. Are, are you, I can, I can start paying you again. I no, actually, no, I, I don't want you to. <laughs> You sure? Okay. Well, open offer. I I mean, one thing that I, I, I don't know. I, I find myself in a position where I'm just inclined to low key, low key, sub Rosa, something support people who are making cool stuff and, and just not make a big deal of it. And you know what, if that means you get to buy an extra pack of beer or, or a coffee every once in a while, like, great. That's I think I'll I'll hit you up to sponsor some kind of dastardly initiative at some point. I think that'll be a good fit. Yeah, okay. I I like that and feel free to hit me up for that that sort of uh mischief anytime. <laughs> cool. Um I guess uh we can we can have you flog that and like give URLs and such at the end. Um unless you oh, want to yeah. do it now. I don't know what the correct ordering of these I things mean, is. I feel like everybody listening to this is going to already know who we are, but maybe that's a faulty assumption. Maybe I don't know. I that that might be something that I want to talk about later on. Um, as as a topic, it's sort of sort of shifts in in this group and like who's around and, and all of that. But we can we can get to that. Um, okay. I, I feel like I feel like we have some themes that they kind of blend into one another that that might be pretty good. Um, so so anyway, yeah. Um, I, I guess a little bit of front matter for me as well. Um, I. I'm not starting a podcast because I think I will become rich or famous. I'm doing this because one, I like to talk to people a lot. Two, there are people that I want to have an excuse to just interrogate at length about things that they're interested in. And and if I put it in a podcast and say perhaps you will get some publicity out of this or or fame or something, um, that makes it more likely that they'll be willing to be interrogated. And plus there's like a, just sort of a social framing, like yeah. I'm going to interview you 
like okay that's that's a socially acceptable it's a, it's a status production event it like emits status for all participants yeah and and if i if i can somehow trade that for for getting to badger people that that feels like a big win for me yeah it will it's one of the ways of of like strategically making the illegible legible you know you it's producing an artifact based on your taste that helps people understand social hierarchies and you know all that oh interesting i i hadn't thought about it like that but that's that is true um i legibility is a really interesting point i it might be worth it for us to talk about that too. I think there might be some tension between, I don't know, say, say creating things or I, I don't know, just, just having any kind of a coherent group think, and, and legibility, but that might not be true. I think the move is to do it opportunistically. Um, and, and like tactically, you know, like when it, yeah. when it pays off, um, or when, or even strategically, like the idea of starting a podcast so that you then have the pull to talk to people who you otherwise might have to rely on, like maybe running into them at a party in a year or something. Um, yeah. Know. And who even goes to parties anymore? Because <laughs> on account of the plague. Yeah. Right. Back when I went to a couple of like outdoor parties and that was really fun, but then it got too chilly even in California yeah. to like really be good to do that. Uh, but now the weather is, it's getting warmer again. So maybe I'll get to do some picnics or something with people. Although oh, now there's also the like scary new strain, which is super COVID or something. So I don't know whether that's going to really pan out. Yeah. I almost regret not catching COVID the first time around. I mean, not really, but, but also sort of like maybe, maybe it'd be better to just do the one and done. On the other hand, maybe there are new mutations and they're sort of resistant to the existing antibodies. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Honestly, I don't, I don't think know. I know much. nothing about it. Yeah. I mean, like realistically my life right now is, is I work 40 hours a week and even that's going to end pretty soon. And, and I stay in my house for the most part. And we have a little, um, we have a little like, uh, quarantine cule. Yeah. It's like, it's like an, a not explicitly non-romantic polycule, except we all just isolate around each other, even though we're not in the same house. So I, there's uh, something really repulsive about non-romantic polycule as like a description. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just like a, maybe that's just a commune. I guess people in communes are usually sleeping around. True. Uh, from right. my experience of communes. But like maybe, maybe sleeping around non-romantic. Okay. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. What were we talking so- about again? Right. Why, why I'm even doing this. So yeah, I mean, partly I want to interrogate people and partly to, um, and this will lead into the next thing. Uh, it's, it's kind of a guilt alleviation mechanism for me. Um, I, I have sort of been meaning to write longer form stuff, but I, I frankly just do not have the discipline to do that. I I think I might've at one point in my life, but now it's like, I work reasonably hard for 40 hours a week and then I just want to be done. And you know, communicating somewhat abstract ideas in my workplace is is just enough for me. Mm-hmm. And and once I'm done, I you know I just want to ship post. I don't want to do serious analysis. I I want to perhaps have like some kind of intoxicant and and then just 
you know, inflict upon people, whatever, whatever's been like sitting at the bottom of my brainstem for, for most of the day. This is also a very, you know, it's a Lindy dad way to conduct one's intellectual life. Is it? Dads across America and presumably other lesser places as well, uh, have been consuming intoxicants and expounding on their thoughts for generations. It's a, Oh Yeah. I should uh, I should get a smoking jacket. I think. <laughs> I'm surprised that you don't already have a smoking jacket. Well, I have a number of bathrobes, but that that feels different. Um, yeah, man, just a just a classic smoking jacket. I think I would enjoy that quite a lot. I'm picturing it as being velvet. Is that uh, part of your vision, or is that just me? Um, it it is part of my vision now. I think the tricky part is is getting genuine velvet rather than the synthetic stuff. Um, I, I shamefully don't. I'm not sure about this, but I think the the traditional velvet um, is produced by like cutting silk threads um, very very finely, and I imagine that's really expensive to do. Oh, uh, that's that's one of those like things that they came up with because European nobles like wanted to flex really hard on how much yeah. surplus labor they had. Right, right. I love all these like traditional arts where it's like, no, it's a ton of work on purpose. Like we, yeah. we did that. <laughs> it's it's excessive labor to make you fly. Yeah, that's good. Fly. Does anyone say fly anymore? Uh, that feels I, 20 or 30 years I mean, out of date. At first, I thought you meant like yeah, this was some kind of elaborate like Red Bull gives you wings kind of metaphor. So. Nope, nope. <laughs> Definitely falling so back on ninety slang. It might not be the uh, the hop and lingo anymore, but that yeah, so cool to me. Don't worry. Well, that 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 genuinely means a lot to me. <laughs> Maybe being cool is like being uncool on purpose to make you dad. Mm-hmm. I need to think about that. Anyway, um, okay, so so I feel that I have some duty to people who submitted questions to actually. Um, the questions ask. were great and and surprisingly like thematically coherent also. Yeah, I think so. I um I like 10 or 15 minutes before this podcast started or before we started recording, I actually looked at them and and just kind of stared at them and took in the 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 gestalt and um I think I have a, a nice flow for it. So, um as I was saying, I, I'm doing this partly to expiate the guilt of not actually sitting down and writing things, which some people ask me to do and I don't actually have any obligation to do that, but I know what you mean. I sort of do somehow. And you want to put your vision out into the world. Yeah. Right. And I I feel like I do that partly through tweets, but that is a medium that is, you know, it's, um, it tends to fade out pretty quickly. And, and even if, you know, you have some real bangers that people remember and can reference, I, I think there are some longer thread chains that really do bear some elaboration that, otherwise just get a bit lost. So, um, yeah, Twitter is a very particular medium. Yeah. But so, so one advantage that I imagine you have at this point that I do not in terms of expiating guilt is, um, you've, you've recently, is it converted or reconverted and to Catholicism? Not Catholicism. Not Catholicism. No, Hmm. I mean, I like, I, I'm not anti-Catholic. I like a lot of things about Catholicism, but there are too many rules and I'm not big on the like, I, ha- I have a very Protestant, like, fuck there being any like mediating third authority um, kind of attitude. Yeah, I don't know. Like, 
Also, I, I'm not all that impressed with the evolution of the Vatican. So since I'm not already Catholic, I might feel differently about that. Although I did. So my mom was raised Catholic. She's kind of a lapsed Catholic. Yeah. Uh, and I went to Catholic school. So there has been like a heavy Catholic influence on my religious upbringing, I guess. My dad uh-huh. is like a Protestant through and through, though. Um, Which what 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 flavor? Do you, know? you know, kind of like Unitarian Universalist, like liberal, <laughs> kind of like very California hippy dippy kind of flavor. Interesting. Um, but, although but, but, you know, he may not be in that phase so much anymore. Like my impression of, like my dad had a high a, a period of high religious activity when I was like mm, ten mm, to like fifteen or something. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so that made an impression on me. I don't know if he's quite, I don't know how he's thinking about it these days. Although I I do want to talk to him at length about religion. Um, My parents are kind of bemused by my reconversion. They're like, really? Well, all right. (laughs) So I I went through like a very militant, like teenage atheist phase. So sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think <laughs> as, as one does that, that almost feels like a universal, I wonder how much of it. I mean, when I went through a phase like that, it felt like something that I was doing that, um, there was like, I'm so smart. I, I, I just invented this and, and realized all these <laughs> things, but, yes. but I mean, maybe everybody does that. And maybe to a certain extent, there's like a, I think it's like a necessary part of the teenage experience. Yeah. It's like yeah. how, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was thinking maybe there was some sort of a cultural moment about it too, where maybe it was oh, just a yeah. thing that a lot of people on the internet did. I mean, the, the atheism wars used to be huge in, in forum flame wars, you know? That was a little before my time, but I like, it's even now it still has such an influence on the, like the composition of the, like uh, <laughs> smarty pants Twitter. Well, not Twitter, smarty pants Twitter specifically, but like the intellectual internet is still very shaped by like, uh, you know, that kind of um, new atheism, I guess is, is what it called itself. Yeah. I mean, Scott, Scott had a pretty fire piece about that where. Um, yeah. The, you- the failed hamartiology of new atheism. <laughs> Yeah, was it was it Hamartiology or Sotori? Oh, so, uh, I forget which one. Hamartiology is a theory of harm, and Soteriology oh, yeah. is like theory of salvation. If I right, recall, right, right. So yep. there's a lot of overlap, but they are distinct concepts, and I might be mixing them up too. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're interested in concepts like that, so um, basically, like new atheism as a sort of failed world model. Because uh, like it, it clearly, I, I think it's a useful model, but I think it's um, should be inside of other larger models, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it it absolutely does. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, at, at risk of being really tiresome, it feels to me like there's a certain aggressive Kagan forness about new atheism, mm. where where it's it's sort of like this. Um, I- <laughs> Yeah, There's, well, you know what I mean, though, so, right? I do. I know exactly what you mean, but it's also so satisfying to like deploy the cake and stages framework against people who are like dumb and bad and wrong. <laughs> well, real, I mean, real cake in three hours out here in my uh, in my cake and enjoyment. 
Well, I, so I'm not even saying that they're wrong. I definitely called them tiresome, but, um, maybe, maybe Kagan four is just the like really tiresome stage where, where it's like, <laughs> or, or I'm identifying it as such where, where there's an element of it. That's like, you know, this frame is correct in some sense, and I'm just gonna, gonna apply it everywhere in this universalist manner. And I mean, I, I think moving away from that hasn't, I, I mean, just putting my cards on the table, I think there's a sense in which I'm like sort of atheistic in, in that I have a very hard time believing in lots of conceptions of like literal truth God. But I think that's almost just become a subset of me having a really hard time believing in literal truth and in Mm. almost any sense. Um, But yeah, I mean like, you know, if you want to take on this view of a physical or physicalist reality where, you know, this is roughly how we see atoms working and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, eventually you get to the point where it's like, okay, so probably it's hard to take some of these stories literally. And, and so, you know, by the, in the usual sense, um, in, in the, in the sort of conventional sense, like this isn't true with a giant capital T, but also there's, there's a big element where I don't actually think that matters so much and there are different ways of being true. And I realize saying that out loud that it feels really kind of, kind of slimy, but, um, I mean like, it in a good way, not a bad way. Just there in case, there are different I'm ways mysterious. of being true, but you definitely feel like uh, one of them is kind of like the the most true. Or are you going in a different direction with this? No, I'm not even. I mean, like, I don't. I'm not even trying to rank these ways of being true, but like, you know, you can you can come up with a. Uh, this is probably ontological, but you can come up with a way of. Oh, it's definitely you know, ontological. Like, yeah, I mean, just just in the sense that, like, you know, all models are wrong. Some models are useful. Like, you know, there, there are situations where, you know, if you want to talk about things using God as, as an element of your model, like that, that can actually produce more useful and more interesting results than, you know, just like really doubling down on some kind of an atomistic universe. And I feel fine about that. And even apart from that, I mean, you know, if you want to switch over to another model, like you could view God as an emergent property or gods or egregores or any of these like superhuman um, entities that perhaps use humans as a substrate. So the way I'd put it is that uh, I, I like to say that like reality is a consequence of God. Hmm. But so I, I mean, I do, I, I would describe myself as like a physicalist, but not a materialist. Um, Oh, interesting. Okay, I, I like I that. I think there are like higher order dimensions that uh, I mean, like I just I I went through, like I said, a very sort of typical new atheist phase, and then for a long time had a pretty like standard materialist worldview, um, and then a combination of like I uh, you know I refound religion and I developed a lot a much more god this is sad (laughs) we both sound like total tools in this conversation but i think we should embrace it in a lovable way yeah (laughs) Um, yeah at least we're self-conscious about it but but yeah um so i yeah i believe in in some pretty i guess zany out there things like 
I, List I'm on all the, of the like, zany things that you believe. Um, I'll just give you a representative <laughs> one, which is I'm on board with the idea that aliens are demons. Whoa. That, okay. That seems Tell me about plausible. that. Like what, uh, what do you mean by demon here? Like, are you, so are you familiar with the like ultra terrestrial entities framework? Um, I have listened a lot to gaslight hour and they talk about ultra terrestrials a lot and i have some sense of what they are but it seemed like a bad idea to learn too much about that because what if ultra terrestrials are real and take a lot of interest in people who know what ultra terrestrials mm. are so if you want to drop some info hazards please so kind elaborate. of like a roko's basilisk sort of situation yeah basically or or you know like in um what was that? What was that horror movie that came out like seven ish years ago? That was about the the girl and she had an asshole husband and they were living in a house and paranormal she, activity. Paranormal, maybe yeah, something like that. But you know, like you call attention to these things and they're like, yeah, give me more attention. Mm-hmm. Like that that's gonna that's gonna bring me in. I actually think that's really true, uh, and that's one of the big uh, the big dangers in my view of like getting into occult stuff. Uh, is like attracting the attention of some real shit and then, you know, getting possessed or something. Not that I think it happens all that often, but it's one of those things where like, it seems so bad that it's worth being overcautious to kind of, you know, (laughs) reduce risk. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. Um, I, I had an interesting experience thinking about this the last time that I, um, had a lysergamide dose and I realized that I had taken it and I was um, a fair amount higher than I had expected to be. And I thought, wow, this would be a really bad time for something to try and possess me. And then I thought about how I had better not think about that. And I think I yeah. did manage to move on to something else. But uh, info hazard for any of you who, who are likely to trip in the near future, um, don't think about being possessed. <laughs> uh, that's, um, a, that's a great don't think about a, a white elephant kind of oh, yeah. thing. Next yeah. time you trip, pro tip, do not invite demons into your mind. <laughs> Just try to steer clear of that one. Yeah, yeah. Definitely don't think about that. <laughs> 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 I can robots podcast, the podcast that actively harms listeners. Um, I so, mean, is it you're you're not really doing things unless it's a literally harm TM. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so, so what, so do you, do you actively go to church now or is this like a private thing that you're pursuing? No, I do want to go to church, but now is like the worst time ever to uh, be oh, looking yeah, for right. an in-person church. Right. Um, so I just that. like read the Bible and pray and stuff, you know, kind of typical. Uh, yeah. I do feel like, so I'm working on, I'm currently working on, and actually like, all of 2020 have been working on an essay about really, I just scoped it to monotheism. I was like, I'm not even going to tackle the Christianity part. (laughs) I just want to explain why I believe in God now um, and how I came to the process or like how, what the kind of what the conversion process was, you know, what everyone has been asking about basically. Yeah. Um, And it's been really, really difficult to, I I both like I keep writing in circles, which is something that doesn't happen to me very often, where like usually I just write the one draft and I edit it like once or twice 
and then I publish it. Um, but this has been like rewriting a draft over and over again, which is, you know, unusual for me to do. Um, and it's been like very long, painful editing process, um, which I guess I think it's kind of a good thing. Like this is me pushing myself, but it's also taken a frustratingly long amount of time. So that's, that's been a little bit annoying. Um, yeah. Well, as Empedocles said, um, God is a flat circle. So that makes that's, sense. Yeah. No, that is like the fucking thing is that it's very difficult to write about a concept that is like so. And then you, you also get into the, the nitty gritty of like writing about the concept versus the reality. And then like where those things intersect versus don't. Um, and it's just difficult. It's especially difficult to do in a succinct way. Cause I don't want to write like, um, something really lengthy. I want it to be short and clear. Uh, I keep thinking about like that quote about like, if I had had, uh, if I had had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. That's yeah, kind of right. what I, where I've been with this, this writing about God thing is like, I want to write a short letter and it takes a long ass time. <laughs> yeah. I, I was listening to um, Michael Kersey's uh, Twitch stream with Chaos last night, which is good. Um, I, I mean, Chaos is super interesting. Michael's really interesting. I like and, both. Yeah, no, they're they're wonderful. Um, and and they were talking a lot about gods, like plural, and and the nature of God, and like what is the God of being tall like, and and that sort of thing. And I I thought that whole conversation was useful, but one thing that occurs to me now is that in some ways talking about God or gods is in a polytheistic setting is a little bit more tractable than thinking about just some kind of, um, you know, monotheistic framework where you have to explain God as just being kind of everything. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's like the whole concept of monotheism is there being in everything that we're all inside of or all part of right except sometimes for the bad things which aren't part of it that except maybe they are i mean that's retarded though so like (laughs) (laughs) um like if it if it's stupid i don't believe it i only believe the the part (laughs) i love that no no thank you i only believe things that are not stupid all my thoughts are high quality (laughs) Uh, I yeah. I think I'd take the opposite tack. I personally believe only things that are stupid. <laughs> and yet somehow our beliefs have substantial uh overlap. <laughs> Curious. Oh yeah. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, that's a that's a quandary for the listeners to uh it's an exercise to do at home. Yeah. The next time that you're on a trip, try and resolve that instead of thinking about being possessed. <laughs> Uh, the Eigen Robot podcast prompts for things that you should or shouldn't think about while high. <laughs> yeah, we'll have, that's a good bit. I might, I might incorporate that. Yeah. Um, cool. So, um, so what, what, what kind of a role do you see? Do you see Christianity playing in your life? And um, just, I mean, because I, I think. I mean, just the way that I'm thinking about it, there's there's maybe some element of having a religion that is purely, I don't know, you could think about it as, as being like intellectual, like, yes, this makes sense, or mystical, like, oh, yeah, I totally feel this. But there's also some personal element where I imagine most people who are religious kind of use it as a 
framework for how to think about themselves or how to think about their lives. So yeah, you- I mean, that's kind of the point of religion is is having an ontological framework in which you situate yourself and around which you orient your activities. That's like uh-huh. the point in my, in my view. Um, and that, I mean, that's a very intellectualized way of describing it though, which is one of the tough things is like to communicate with secular people, I need to use that kind of language as opposed yeah. to whereas like communicating with religious people, you're like, you just live your life for the glory of God. Duh. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and these are kind of the same concept, but couched in very different ways. It's like the underlying thing that's being talked about is the same, but the the conceptual frameworks for dealing with it are different. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, that's the really tough thing about talking about these is that you have to like rapidly convert between different conceptual frameworks. And that means talking about the constraints and the boundaries of concepts themselves. And just like, it's so easy to get bogged down in this like endless meta conversation, um, which I guess is, I mean, I have no idea how not to get bogged down in the endless meta conversation. And I think that's kind of like a big part of the necessity for personal mystical experience or like a personal um, resonance with the sacred is being able to cut through the like needing concepts to interface kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. And I would say, oh, so I guess if people want to hear about my reconversion experience, like I have always been kind of a prayer, even prayer as in like person who prays, Uh, even during my heavy atheist period, like I I guess I fell off to an extent and I for sure pray more now than I used to. Um, But just as like a meditative technique, as like a comfort ritual, I've always kind of turned to prayer. and I didn't like, I didn't think I was talking to anything really, but I still did it. Um, and then like, you know, eventually I got to know religious people who were smart and like had, uh, you know, basically had like an actual intellectual framework for what they believed as opposed to just like the Bible says it, therefore it's true, which I think is really dumb. Um, or at least the simplistic version of it is dumb. Um, And that was mainly what I had been exposed to was the simplistic version. So being like learning that there were smart religious people was like a had a big influence on me. Um, And it, it, I talked with them about religion and I started thinking about it more. And then eventually, um, Oh, I, at some point I decided I wanted to get into reading the Bible again. Um, And I was reading first Corinthians and I just had this like, uh, you know, the oneness of all experience or the oneness of all creation experience, you know, the thing that you also sometimes get when you're high, which I've also experienced, which is also really great. Like the, um, the visceral feeling of being part of everything, of feeling connected to the entirety of the universe because you're part of it, because you're, you know, like a figment of reality. Um, that experience, which is the sort of intense experience of God's love, Um, I had that experience while reading first Corinthians, but I didn't, I did not yet have this conceptual, uh, like I, I had no idea what was happening. Um, I, I was still like so early into thinking about these things and like being willing to, you know, it took a fair bit of, I mean, courage. It sounds so cheesy, but it did, it took a fair bit of like intellectual courage for me to step 
out of atheism back into like a mystical worldview. Um, why, and, why did it take? Oh, I, sorry. Go ahead. Th- that makes sense. What when I think about courage, I think about making a decision that is in some sense right in spite of some amount of danger or or like risk. What what felt risky about it? Oh well, I just knew people were gonna think it was silly or were gonna make fun of me or like think I was wrong. I guess I definitely um, you know, I don't like having people think I'm wrong or dumb or whatever. It's something that I think it's necessary to inure oneself to that, but I don't enjoy it inherently. Um, yeah. Uh, so there was that. And, you know, like I've been an atheist for a long time. I knew how atheists talk about religious people when religious people aren't around. So I was, um, you know, I was nervous about being the subject of those conversations. And I still am. Like that's something that's held me up in writing about this is knowing that like knowing the ways in which I'm going to be misinterpreted and misunderstood and like knowing the tiresome responses that people are going to have to various aspects. Like that is, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a big deterrent. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It's, um, this is interesting to me in a bunch of ways. One of which is, I guess I don't actually, I think I knew how, Atheists spoke about religious people maybe like 15 years ago, but it's been so long that I don't actually remember it at all. Um, but I, I think I know what you mean in terms of the the like the way that people are spoken about. The other thing that's interesting to me is that it seems like you're I mean, you're someone who's pretty outspoken and in a space where people have a lot of very strong ideas that you don't agree with and you're often very open about disagreeing with them. So it's a little bit interesting to me that this would be sort of um, maybe unusually or uniquely like difficult for you to talk about. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess maybe there's some kind of like in group out group stuff there where like, I was worried about the judgment of people who I knew were against religion or like disagreed with religion. Um, Like say David Chapman, um, Uh you know, is like pretty uh, on the record about being and like religion is wrong, not necessarily bad, but wrong. Uh, Really? Oh, okay. That, yeah. hmm. So like coming out, isn't he a (laughs) Buddhist? Wait, isn't isn't he a tantric uh, so, Buddhist? Yes. So I shouldn't say religion. What? I should say monism. He's against like eternalism, uh, and Christianity is very eternalist. So, hmm. um, and what I if eternalism say, is good? <laughs> what if it's? <laughs> I can robot. You should know. There's zero difference between good and bad things. You, t- <laughs> you fucking moron. Well, that's kind of the. Wouldn't that be the maximally monist perspective? Like, look, good and bad things, all the same. Like, hmm. hmm. Uh, so I don't think that's actually David Chapman's perspective, to be clear. Well, well uh, it's my perspective now. <laughs> okay. Nah. Well, <laughs> hmm, maybe. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Uh, one cannot, you know, it's gauche to commit. So. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And there's, <laughs> there's, yeah, that's, that's reasonable. Like there is a certain amount of. I think commitment that goes into saying, yes, I am of like this set of beliefs. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that I, I sort of 
strenuously avoid by like say not having opinions about things although i mean i I guess i think there's a lot of value in that it's like once you're conceived of as a somethingist there's an inexorable like boxing in and process when you start to think of yourself in reference to a certain like set of positions right yeah we do that with libertarianism like much to my own frustration oh yeah i i mean like what's interesting is that probably a lot of the specific object level things that I like are kind of libertarian adjacent. And and I definitely think I, there's a certain libertarian vibe that I think that I share with a lot of libertarians, like deeply disrespecting government offices and elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that I avoid identifying as libertarian just because like, man, I don't want to be a libertarian. I, I don't know that I, I want to. It's you know? definitely a like casting yourself in the losing role kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, why would you do that? It's just not smart. I'm uh, going to be a quadrant four butt monkey. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel that way about conservatism too, actually. Like, conservatism is sort of inherently backward looking uh, in mm. a way that I think is just, I don't know. I, I am big on tradition, but. There's I there's something just the frame of conservatism is um I I don't like it it's it's a like we're stuck in the past kind of thinking interesting so and by this kind of conservatism I hmm would so you I say guess, I guess I'm like distinguishing conservatism from traditionalist where I guess hmm. and I don't know if that's really a I'm, I'm I just think, talking and, no, and, no, it's and then good. I have to like support the things I've said and that's much Oh more god, I hate that, right? Yeah, no. So I mean a, a framing that I might often use is like um suppose that there's some state of affairs that exists right now and a conservative take or a conservative response that might be, well, okay, perhaps we should let this change, but we should do so slowly, Chesterton's fence, blah, blah, blah. Whereas you might have reactionaries who are like, no, we must, you know, return with a V. Uh-huh. And, and and it seems like you're maybe more objecting to the latter than the former. Hmm. No, so the I respect, <laughs> no, they I, both I, suck. Fuck them. <laughs> I actually respect the reactionaries a lot more than conservatives because reactionaries are like, this shit sucks. Let's go back. I think they're wrong, but yeah, like or like I think that I think a combination of they're wrong, like the you know, shit sucked back then too, in different ways, usually. Yeah, yeah. Ways. Um, but then I also think that they're just like doomed. Like there's a reason why we're here instead of there. Like if you go back to the past, you're just going to recapitulate the present. Um, like, yeah, you'll, you'll the, usually like things fall apart because they're inherent contradictions. Like any given like stable framework falls apart because it's inherent contradictions eventually get to be too much to like hold all the cruft that has built up. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's any avoiding that. So I guess I, I think like we should try to sustain our tradition, like sustain the traditions that we love, but still, um, you know, go forward, colonize the stars, all that. I, I guess I'm a sort of, uh, you know, Morlock publishing kind of perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I, Man, I still have to read those. I um, I didn't get them initially, and when I ordered the uh, 
Yeah, to um, be clear, I don't read anybody's books. Like, I still haven't read Bronze Age Mindset. I'm probably never going to. Like, wow, it's it's yeah, you know, it's okay. It's kind of a fun read. Um, I feel like it's in the water enough that I don't actually need to read it, and I don't want to. That's also true, and also I, you you can just infer the contents from the title, honestly. <laughs> like, I do Bap follow Bap on Twitter. Like, he's pretty amusing on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe somebody doxed him. Like. Why? Why would you do that? It's uh, it's. Fine. I can't believe somebody doxed you. Yeah. Um, is is this why? something we shouldn't speak of? Sorry. If no, so. no. I, I I guess I can talk about that. Yeah. I mean, some someone doxed me and, and a few other people. Um, especially Bowser. Big big. Yeah, fucking that up. sucked. I miss um, his Twitter. The bot is is not good enough. Yeah. No, I know. And but I'm I'm glad it's there. Like every time it comes up, it's um. It's so I don't know. Just reminds yeah. me of yeah, and I don't know. It's just good, good to remember fallen comrades. Yeah, no, I don't know. Someone doxed me, and I decided the most Chad thing to do to be to completely ignore it. So that's what I it did. It appears to have had like no deleterious effects on you, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I on one hand, I definitely don't want to associate anything that I do outside of work hours. Um, or during work hours when I'm kind of playing hooky. Um, I, I don't want to associate any of that with my employer, but not because what I think, I think what I'm doing is bad, but just because like they don't deserve that, you know? So, um, but, but that being said, like I'm, I'm not super worried about it. I just thought it was kind of rude. Yeah. I, do you know why they did it? No, no idea. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're sort of large accounts at this point. I mean, I mean, like not big, big. I I don't expect we're, to ever be. We're out. internet personalities, isn't it? Yeah. Horrible? Can you believe it? I had not. I got to tell you, I haven't <laughs> <Shame>. set up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, here we are. I I'm okay with it. It's not something I'd expected or, or set out to do. Um, and I, I don't know. Honestly, I still don't feel like it. I'm kind like, of offended that you have more followers than me now. I noticed that, and I was like, hey, what the fuck. I never check follower count. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes you better than me in another way. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's honestly, what what have you thought about it? Cause we started, I think we met for the first time in what, like 2016. Does that sound right? Isn't it ridiculously long ago now? I can't believe it's been. Oh boy fucking like five years since 2016 what the hell um yeah yeah man back when i to me that feels like the halcyon days of the post rat scene but apparently this has been it's like an ongoing thing now for everyone to have a like uh a a couple of years ago was somebody's golden age always which is just weird i so i'm i'm 26 now and i feel almost like a proper grown-up and it's so bizarre that like there are people younger than me around like at every party there are people younger than me you know when (laughs) when there are parties which is not a lot lately but um and that's really a strange feeling to age into and I think it's just that's like the rest of my life that's that's what adulthood is is like you progressively like (laughs) the kids these days category just like keeps growing and growing (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I, I honestly feel pretty good about it. Like it, I don't know, it started out. I, I mean, I, I think I, so I created my Twitter account in 2013 back when I was still doing 
like still pretending to do work in grad school. And um, I, I just discovered the weird sons at some point. And, and like, you know, I had already been reading um, Robin Hanson and marginal revolution, which feels kind of proto proto rationalist, but Robin it Hanson. Was. And, yeah, for sure. And Eliezer especially. And, um, <laughs> and be upon him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eliezer, my invitation to come on and uh, do whatever you want to do. That is reason enough to have a podcast is so that you can eventually interview Eliezer about post-rationalism. <laughs> yeah. Eliezer, come on and defend your tweets about post-rationalism. <laughs> I defy you. Throwing um, down that gauntlet. <laughs> seriously. Um, but then like, I don't know. So I, I ended up sort of hanging out with the weird sons or like, you know, entering via weird sons. I, I saw one of them and thought this content is fantastic. And I followed them and then some other weird son came up and was like, wait, what's <laughs> going on? And then, then for like a week, whenever a weird son came up in my recommended follows, I, I just followed them. So that, that was my introduction and that was great. Weird son Twitter, for those of you who missed it, um, was just, just a lot of fun, just endless cryptic tweets about everything. You know, the only rule was not tweeting about the object level in any discernible way. And and people managed to have pretty good discourse in spite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this was probably Gamergate era. Oh, God. Austin Allred, if you're listening, Gamergate. I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for him. I... Do, do you know him personally? Um, I haven't met him in person. I don't think we've followed each other on Twitter for a while. So, you know, that level of, of knowing. So not yeah, really. Yeah. No. Um, okay. I do. I kind of like people in San Francisco, like tech Twitter circles. I feel like I run into everybody eventually. Just yeah. Cause I don't know. Everyone hangs out with each other. It feels like. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know, but I, I don't know back in, Back in like 2016, it seems like, I mean, there there were different people who were pretty prominent in the scene. I mean, Banana doesn't tweet very much anymore, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, she's pretty quiet, unless she has like another hidden alt. Which would be... I wouldn't put it past her. I haven't seen her tone anywhere, and she she has no. a very particular way of treating, tweeting. She she could she could have adopted a a different different persona i guess <clears throat> part of me but um you know she she doesn't tweet so much a lot of the a lot of that group um well and some of the people we were friends with got like you know got the brain worms like the woke brain worms did they i i yeah. can't remember oh i sort of remember some of that i don't want to name any names yeah no i don't want to name any names either it's just like there's definitely been some attrition uh because of that which bums me out, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really a downer. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, these, these things just happen. And like, I mean, to be clear, you know, we all have brain worms, but some are, some maybe brain some worms are, more... are better than others. Unironically. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's like, um, you know, I view egregores as, as maybe being best viewed from an ecological standpoint. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can think about, you know, your mind is as being a nice haven for, for lots of these, you know, or semi-independent entities using you as a compute substrate. And, you know, some, some egregores are just invasive. That's what, I mean, that's what concepts are. Concepts are sneaky fuckers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think those are all egregores, but like, you know, you can, you can imagine like, um, 
you know, certain, certain ideas and especially ideologies like, you know, being released like a fucking breeding pair of rabbits in Australia, mm. you know, it's like, oh no. And, and suddenly instead of having this relatively well-balanced and I, I think, you know, healthful for being a human set of concepts, you know, operating on, on your wet works, like suddenly or wet wear, wet works is something else. Um, instead of that, like you have this, this, you know, thing just blazing through and killing the, um, you know, killing the native life that hasn't adapted to having this. Decimating your mental gut bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, that seems like it happens every so often. And I guess, you know, in modernity and, you know, after we've kind of moved away from agriculture as a primary mode of economic production, not to be a Marxist <laughs> or anything, but you know, the stuff modernity matters. and its consequences, et cetera, modernity, et cetera. Yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been sad to lose people in that way, but, um, what are you going to do? Like you said, shit happens. Yeah. I, I guess what I mostly view as important is just, I mean, having some place where if people are not, you know, kind of totally, um, cordycepted, like just having a place where they can go and just be around other people who aren't like feeling, feeling isolated is terrible. And especially when there's a lot of social pressure around some, some new idea, just like going somewhere and being able to talk about things in a non serious way feels like an Im pretty important piece of freedom to preserve. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, and that <laughs> there are very real opponents, to that idea or yeah. to, to that kind of space existing. Um, I, I don't know. I'm torn on what their chances are. I, I, it does feel like the open space in terms of discourse is shrinking. Do you, do you mean like in terms of infrastructure or just in terms of like Overton windows contracting? Um, kind of the combination of both like infrastructure leveraged to, uh, to affect the Overton window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that worries me a lot, but uh, I just, I don't, like, there's not all that much I can do about it. Everything that I can do, I'm already doing, so. Yeah, I think, well, it's it's interesting, too, I think, because, I, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, the other week when, you know, all the stuff around the... Um, when the latest band wave hit? Yeah, when that hit, like, and, I mean, you know, there's the censorship, like, the, the tacit censorship that went on during the campaign that I thought was pretty gross, where, you know, on one hand, it seems like there are all of these heavy handed tactics that are being deployed. But if you look at it from another perspective, in some ways, discourse has never been as open as it has been now. Like, you know, if, if you look at the late 20th century before cable, you know, there were there were three TV stations mm -hmm. and everything was this kind of one way media where, you know, there were a few people who had opinions and they were able to like transmit them to people like being on TV mattered, you know, mm -hmm. like if you showed up on TV, like suddenly you were being broadcast in, you know, this unidirectional way into the eyeballs of millions of people who like, we're all watching the same three stations at any given time. And that's a wild level of discursive power. You know? Yeah. Like you could, yeah. you could decide what people were going to talk about at work the next day. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, and, and now, 
things have really, and I mean, the consequences of that fragmenting and, and everything becoming, um, you know, quite a lot more localized is, I mean, localized in some sense, not necessarily geographical, um, but you know, it's like nodes. Yeah. Clustered nodes. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this is probably like an entirely, an entire hour's conversation, but I mean, just in the short term, it's, it's been pretty, it's, I, I mean, as, as sort of a social note, it's been really interesting just seeing lots of people show up and becoming friends with other people. And I mean, now, you know, there are lots of accounts every day who just everybody starts hanging out with. And, um, I think that's great. And I wish I had yeah, time that to, part is really rewarding. Yeah. Like I guess yesterday we, we adopted a pancake. Um, I, I still don't know what that account is about. I kind of have the sense that they're like hiding from some academic, you know, judgment circle, mm. but great, you know? Um, and you know, people are meeting and, and hooking up, um, you know, shout out to, to Fuhrer King and Lisa Tomic. Um, like, and that, that, that's great. And I mean, I think there's this element, I mean, every, everyone is talking about building things and someone asked you about creating things. And, um, I mean, I guess I can see like just one thing that, that I can maybe do. And I, I hope this isn't egotistical. I certainly don't mean it in that way. Um, but, but one thing that I can do just by tweeting a lot is just kind of acting as a shelling point for people to go and, you know, hang out with other people who are like them and yeah, and have a good time, you know? And, and, and so that's, that's great. And I'm, I, I feel pretty good about that specific function, uh, at, from my tweeting. And I, I guess I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah. I, I, I think it's good. Also, I agree. So, um, so you're creating zines. Um, is that, is that your sort of primary creative outlet at this point? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I really like, Oh, this is something I wanted to talk about actually, uh, that ties into the religious, the religion thing, which is that like, we are flesh creatures. Like we are, thinking meat flesh gold uh, yes <laughs> um and uh so for me how that ties into zines is that making making physical artifacts is like massively satisfying um and i think it's also a cool thing for people to have as like as much as like memorabilia or kind of um almost like talismans as uh li- as literature i mean it's definitely both but yeah um like i have people who have sent me pictures of zines set up on like you know they're they're kind of altars uh and i mean altar in like a loose sense here you know how you'll you'll just have like you know here's some cool figurine that you picked up you know when you were on a trip that meant something to you or you know that kind of thing and people uh-huh. have like zines propped up with them um, and I really like making that kind of thing. Uh, artifact is really the word that I, that I come back to. And I got that from Nadia Eggball actually. Um, but it just, the, the, like the heft, you know, having something in your hands, uh, I think it has an effect on us because we are, like I said, we're meat creatures. Um, and we, <laughs> we want to interface on that level. Um, yeah. 
And in these like very online circles, we don't always get to, um, and especially like, especially in 2020, <laughs> um, you know, our ability to connect physically was hampered. Um, so I think it was having, it's also like, it's just really fun to send fun mail and it's also, fun Oh, it totally to is fun mail. Uh, so that's another aspect of zines that I really like. Yeah, um, no, I, I identify with both of those points. Um, I mean, one thing, you know, we have, we have an impending birth in, in our household and I think that's yeah, your really... own, your own bespoke flesh golem. Yeah. Right. No. Oh man. That's I'm, I'm going to tell moon that you said that I think she'll <laughs> enjoy it. Um, but so, so one thing that, that I've done in the last month and a half or so is just sort of amass a collection of LPs. And I, I guess just the idea of like having some physical thing that, that I can show our daughter and be like, Hey, here's some music, check it out. It's cool. And she'll say, no, this sucks, man. <laughs> Such a square dad. Yeah. yeah which, which is fine. This isn't and then, groovy. And then, and then she'll turn 30 and she'll be like, oh shit, man. <laughs> he knew what he was talking about, man. Dang. Are you also uh, going through the, my parents are right about everything phase? Oh, um, they're right about like 90% of stuff, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm endlessly impressed by how they've lived their lives. Um same. But yeah, so I mean like that was good. And I guess sort of related to the zines was when I made those patches and sent them out. That was yes, that was a I lot of fun. I fucking love those patches. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna make more at some point. I think not quite as large, and I might ask for a couple of bucks just to cover like creation and shipping, but I, I don't know. I should be clear that I have no intention of ever actually making money off of doing anything like podcasting or making batches or whatever. Like I, I have no interest in putting forth that amount of effort. And it, like, you <laughs> I know, was about to say it's a lot of work to actually make money. It's, no, I'm an absolute dilettante, which is why I have a job. Um, but, but yeah, like there's, uh, we were talking about being flesh creatures. Um, yeah. And oh, so that's another thing when I was talking about my my conversion experience is like I couldn't I couldn't brain myself into believe well, I mean everything we do is brains, but uh, I couldn't like logic myself into believing in God, especially since like believing in God is less about believing like object level stuff that atheists don't believe and more about like believing different things about the nature of the ob- object level stuff. Uh, you know, that's interesting. I, one thing that I was going to say earlier when you were talking about, you know, the difficulty of, of sort of even starting to describe a a sort of monistic God, um, is when I think about God, it's not, it feels quite a lot more like just vibing with something. Mm. like vibing really hard. I swear I'm stone sober right now. And it's, it, I don't know. There, there's that, um, are you familiar with the, uh, the master and his emissary? Why does that sound familiar? Tell me what that Uh, is. It is a book that somebody wrote. Um, I don't remember who off the top of my head and I'm not going to, yeah, yeah. Right. One of the written ones. Um, and, and the, basic frame is this i think neuroscientist um going through it and discussing in humans um hemispheric differences you know it's sort of like left brain right brain but 
but he's a lot more systematic about it. I've only read maybe 50 pages, but um, Moon has talked to me in great detail about the rest of it. And it's it's not the kind of basic bitch. This is what left brain people are, right? This is what right brain people are, are like, but is it rather like about the different sort of brain. I mean, organ is not the right word, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, brain structures. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the the specific structures and and about the way that they process information differently. Um, oh, that's neat. I'm interested and, in that stuff. And so it's not like oh, your your X brain is dominant, but rather like, you know, here's how these two two halves of the brain tend to interact and like coordinate the processing of information. And one way that you can maybe think about it is that the the left brain, and these are my words, not his. Um, I'm just extending his concept into language that makes sense to me is that there's something sort of systematic and explicit about the way that the left side operates and the right side tends to be more sort of inchoate and intuitive and not exactly anti-systematic, but um, it definitely, it, it doesn't have the same sort of ability to, put concepts into words less or, like systematizing yeah or or even making explicit i mean i feel like when when i'm i think i've caught what he's trying to say about thought um and maybe this is phenomenological but when i think about things i usually just i was it it might have been gauss who said something like i've got it now i just have to get it when he was talking about some specific mathematical concept. And I think the idea was that like he had an intuitive sense of what was happening and he just had to capture that and like grab it and make it solid and turn it into words that he could actually communicate to the rest of the world. And then that's sort of the theme of this book where it's like a lot of the heavy lifting is done in this, in the right hemisphere, but it's not immediately translatable. And a lot of what the left side of your brain does is operate to take, you know, the contents that are generated on one side and turn it into a more explicit language. And, um, I don't know. It, it almost feels, yeah, it's, it's probably worth reading. There's, I guess later on he gets to be kind of tiresome talking about how much he hates the left, left brain people. And I don't know, maybe it turns into like an anti-autist screed, but, um, rude. I know, I know, I know. Um, but it, it does capture something about maybe the way that I think about the world. And when I think about God, that feels like it's something that all, operates almost entirely in. And that kind of right hemisphere mode of thinking where it's like, you've got these wordless concepts that work and operate, but finding a way to translate into something that you know can be transmitted to other people is, is really quite challenging. Indeed. Um, this is kind of going off on a tangent, but it's interesting to me that autism as a like concept question mark has uh, kind of run away from the original like diagnostic context into this kind of like almost. It's a way of life. <laughs> it's an <laughs> ethos. Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting. I wonder how. uh I wonder how the like the term is going to evolve and like the also the the social aspects of the diagnostic category. Um, I wonder what it's like to be like a newly minted autistic kid. Yeah. Oh, these days. Yeah, I do, too. I wonder. I'm cu- I'm kind of curious where where that entire strand ends up. I mean, I am 
pretty confident that I am not autistic. You're definitely not like diagnosably autistic. And neither yeah. am I for the record. <laughs> Although, I mean, Moon Moon has some... Um, she, I would believe, is. I don't think you are or me. Yeah. She, she has some ideas about it that I've never quite entirely processed um, because of my intellectual sloth. But I, I think she has some ideas about like a classic autism versus like schizotypal autism. Oh, interesting. And yeah, she, she could talk about it more at length. Um, you should have her on your podcast. As a guest. Oh, yeah, man. I think that would be really funny. That would be cute it would, too. It would be so gross. You like the way we have conversations in private are, are just disgusting. I remember going out for drinks in Boston, I want to say, with with you and Moon. And, oh yeah. Um, the the previous time I had hung out with you two in person, you had only like just started dating, so you weren't like super cutesy with each other yet. And then yeah. I hung out with you again when we were in Boston, and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it's <just> so <laughs> lovey dovey. It's adorable. It's just very. It was so unexpected. <laughs> yeah. No. It's. I mean, it's really obnoxious. At this point, I would say that like probably a solid. 70% of our conversations are just us singing at each other. Aww. Like, like just, just saying things, but like, you know, adding intonation to it. And I, you I also do a lot of like narrating your pets. We do that constantly. No, um, I don't think so. We do talk about the pets a lot. Zoe in particular tends to um, get really, really clingy when Aww. we're hanging out together. And then she'll like walk across moon's breasts and like dig her nails in and, then moon screams it's it's a good time for me at least um it's a very very sadomasochist kind of household huh i mean (laughs) cats are natural sadists though like yeah that's true although Um, they they have mixed feelings because they don't want us to think that our pain matters to them like even (laughs) even in enjoyment right yeah oh just totally totally indifferent but but secretly enjoying. Yeah, they I, they managed to have a good time. Ah, uh, um, so okay, we're over an hour, which I feel good about. Um, and I would probably talk for a longer period of time, except that I should get back to work eventually. Also, um, you're like theoretically gonna edit this, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At some point. Oh gosh, yeah, I forgot about that. I <laughs> theoretically, I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um. Maybe, yeah, there there were some other things that I wanted to talk about, um, but maybe we should save it for some subsequent episode. I mean, I could probably do this at a pretty good clip, and especially once in early February, I um, I, I go on to paternity leave. Oh, I could do this at length. Um, but yeah, we is, should we should save some stuff for the for the other guests, though. Yeah, for other guests, um, for you in particular, one thing that I wanted to flag that I didn't write down, but I thought about it, but I didn't write it down, and so we missed it, is um, about being one of the boys. Oh. I really wanted to dig into that, but um, we'll we'll save that for next time. All right. Well, interesting. I'm I'm, I'm not sure that I I actually have a lot of insight because I've never felt like one of the boys. <laughs> but we'll interesting. See. Okay. Well, I but but that's interesting too. Anyway, um, okay, so let's let's wind down. Um, do you wanna do you wanna flog anything? Um, yeah, uh, check out my website. It's sonia supposedly dot com. S o n y a 
supposedly.com. Like, yeah. Everyone, go look at it. Read my like shit. And, like and follow Sonia on Twitter. She's great. And um, thank you. Yeah, no, she's she's tremendously powerful. You you have encountered a Sonia today who is, I, I think, one part of the true Sonia who is like sort of, you know, like kind of girly and flighty and fun and thoughtful. And she has another side that is absolutely terrifying. And I, <laughs> it, I and I respect it. I, so, uh, you have never aroused my wrath. <laughs> so. I, and, and I pray that I never do. <laughs> oh, I don't think you will. Uh, well, thank you for having me on your podcast. It was really fun, uh, to just chat actually. I mean, we haven't, um, had a chance to see each other as often as we probably would in a normal year. So, Oh God, I know. Right. Well, I mean, once, once baby's a bit settled in and everybody's vaccinated and, and the world's at peace again, um, I think we definitely want to head down South and, you know, of course, if you ever make yeah. it up well, here, we want to um, come to Seattle. I want to visit you and, you know, some of the other people who are clustered in your area. Yes, please. And we probably will have a spare bed if, if you're into that, but, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a baby too. So that becomes less appealing to hang out anyway. Yeah. Um, we can take that offline. We'll figure it out. Um, Sony, thanks so much for being the inaugural guest on my as yet unnamed podcast. I'm um, absolutely honored. It was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Likewise. Take care. All right. Wait. So I think cool. I need to leave the tab open, right? For Zencaster. Um, uh, you do not. I'm just going to stop you, recording you should leave your tab open. I think once you, or I guess it'll,